Uh, let's do the smart thing, have a word of prayer before we get going. Lord, we just ask for your blessing upon this. Uh, you wrote it. Just pray you would teach it through your spirit. We ask for your blessing, too, upon teens and the nursery and the toddlers and CBC and junior high, all the classes going on in the back. Just pray you would take care of all things in your name. Amen. Now, you've got to have a real quick, real quick review here just to set the scene. Uh, chapter 6 is Jericho. Uh, an amazing victory, one of the most amazing victories in the Bible here, and Jericho is utterly defeated. Well, what happened in Jericho is this guy by the name of Achan took stuff he wasn't supposed to take. God specifically said, when you defeat Jericho, don't take any of the accursed things, don't steal anything. Well, Achan took something. Well, what happened in chapter 7, as we talked about, because of Achan's sin, the whole nation of Israel is affected. They go to take on Ai, and they get utterly defeated at Ai. And Achan and his family are eventually put to death because of that sin. And we talked about the problems of sin. Now, sin not only brings us down, but brings down everybody, your whole family, your ministry, the church, etc. So just with that background, a great victory in chapter 6, a bad defeat in chapter 7. So now we're into chapter 8. Well, they have to take out Ai. This is the town they need to take out. So now the question comes up of, what are they going to do? Well, look at verse 1 of chapter 8. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given it into your hand, the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. Now, stop there for a second. If God has to tell them in verse 1 to not be afraid or dismayed, what do you think they were? I think they were afraid and dismayed. You know, I think they were really whooped here. I think they were whooped physically. I think they were whooped emotionally and spiritually. And now, can't we all relate to that? You just have an utter spiritual defeat. You have, like we talked about last week, an AI moment where things just fall apart. It does not go the way you think it's supposed to go. Your week, your day, your moment, whatever, and you are just defeated emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And as we talked about last week, what happens when we're in that spot? We just want to stay there, have a pity party have what we call that Christian Eeyore moment of no one cares. Well, what did God say in verse 10? So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Verse 10 of chapter 7. Get up. Why do you lie on your face? And we talked about that last week. We have to get up. Well, here in verse 1 of chapter 8, God is telling Joshua, don't be afraid. Now that verse should sound familiar to you. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Keep your hand here in chapter 8. Jump back, if you will, to chapter 1. When we did our first lesson in Joshua, we talked about Joshua's marching orders from the Lord were pretty simple. Joshua 1, verse 7. Actually, verse 6 of Joshua 1. Be strong and be of good courage. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do all according to the law. Look at verse 8. This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See, this is the thing. So often when we're going through a trial and a tribulation, we have what we call those AI moments where everything falls apart. We seek the Lord looking for this deep answer. And really the answer he gives us is something that he's told us weeks, months, years before. He already told Joshua, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. There's nothing new in verse 1. God is just repeating what he's already told us. Do you realize over the thousands of years that we have had this word, this Bible, and this walk with the Lord as a body of Christ, there's really nothing new that God needs to tell us. It's the same truth. He still loves you. His grace and mercy is new every morning. He doesn't like sin, but he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins. So often we complicate issues. 
We think we're going through something that no one else has ever experienced before. We're going through a trial and a tribulation where no one can ever relate to my pain or what I'm going through. And God says, no. Over thousands of years, people have felt the same pain you felt. They felt the same hurt they, you felt. And he gives them the same answer he's giving you. Get up. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Now, the catch to this is very simple. After verse 1, and after he gives them the verse 2, and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves, lay an ambush for the city behind it. Stop right there. Because the next three words are vital. So Joshua arose. See, Joshua could have stayed after verse 2 and kept the little pity party going. I know Christians that do that. You call them, you give them the encouraging word, you give them the verses, you tell them God's there for them, it's going to be okay and they still want to stay in the pity party. See, here's the thing. You have to choose to get up, and I have to choose to get up. You're going to be hurt, I'm going to be hurt, you're going to be wrong, I'm going to be wrong. We're all going to be dismayed, we're all going to be discouraged, we're all going to be fearful. We all are. But it, what do you do when you're that way? See, Joshua in verse 3, so Joshua arose. That's what you have to do. And that's what we're dealing with right now here. Very simply put, we've been talking about this a lot on Sunday mornings, what's a mature Christian? A mature Christian gets up. When you get knocked down, a mature Christian gets up because your strength is the Lord. A lot of times we want to give up, don't we? Flip, if you will, to John 21. Let's talk about people that like to give up. John 21. If I ever have a phone call with somebody and they talk about wanting to quit, they're just done. One of the things I always tell them is that if you decide to quit and just be done, you will join a very select group of people. David was a quitter, so was Abraham, so was Moses, so was Peter, so was Paul. We could go down the list, Elijah, Gideon. They were all quitters. They all had moments where they want to quit. See, we think it's some horrible sin to sit there and say, I am so discouraged and dismayed in my walk with the Lord that I'm ready to give up. I don't know any Christian who has not been in that position before. I don't know anybody. We all have moments of where it's just not worth it. Peter here in John 21 very simply put, when Jesus said, hey, I'm going to go die, Peter said, everyone will betray you except me. I will never betray you. So who was the one that betrayed Jesus? Peter. Peter was an utter failure. There's no way around that. He completely failed. When the ball was put in his court, he completely failed God. So what was Peter's great response? Peter's great response said in verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. This is not just, I'm going to go fishing for the day to take a break. This carries a deeper meaning. Peter is giving up on being a disciple of the Lord, and he's going back to what he used to do. I'm going fishing. See, this is what we do spiritually. We pray, it doesn't work. We read, it doesn't work. We go to church, it doesn't work. So what do we say? I'm just going to give up and go back to what I want to do. If I'm ever doing counseling with a couple, and they're not involved with church, and I always say, one of the things you've got to do is get your walk right with the Lord, be it personally, in your marriage, whatever, and I say, why don't you come out to church? One of the first things I always tell them is, just so you know, just because you walk through those doors at harvest, don't think that all of a sudden everything's going to be changed. Unless you come in with a heart that's willing and open to see what the Lord has to say and to listen and then put it into action, nothing's going to change. If we think just because we showed up here tonight or we showed up on Sunday morning that all of a sudden something's going to happen, no, we have to come, listen, be a part of it through the worship, through the fellowship, etc. Your walk with Christ is not just Sunday from 10 to 11.30, it's every day of the week. And so what happens is we come, we put effort into it, nothing happens, nothing changes, so we give up. I don't know how many people have told me, well, I've tried praying, nothing changes. 
I've read those verses. Nothing changed. I go into church. Nothing changed. Well, they're having a Peter moment. They're going to go back fishing. And so generally when you try to tell them, hey, that's not what you want to do, it turns into it's no big deal. What's the difference? Here's the thing. When you give up and decide to go back fishing, fishing, look what happens. They said to him, look at verse 3, we're going with you also. See, when you give up and quit, other people are affected by that too. They are. See, we always think it's not, it's not me. If I do it, it's not going to affect anybody else. I've seen people so often say that. And I try to tell them, fathers, your walk affects your kids. Mothers, your walk affects your kids. Brothers and sisters of the flesh, your walk affects your family. Friends, your walk affects friends. So often people say, well, if I just give up on the Lord, what, what difference does it make? You have some circle of influence in your life. Some people's circle of influence is bigger than others. But you are having some type of spiritual influence on somebody. So when you give up and say, I'm going fishing, somebody is going to be affected by that. Joshua could have just stayed there. He could have. Joshua could have stayed there and never got up. But then you know what? Israel never would have got up. Joshua could have said, you know what? This is silly. Let's find some way to get back to Jordan. Let's just get back to the area. Forget about the promised land. It's not worth it. All of you are going to face a spiritual defeat sometime in your life. It's just a fact. It's what you do when you feel like you're defeated shows your maturity. Do you get up in the Lord and say, you know what? I'm going to be strong in Him. Or are you going to be dismayed, discouraged, and fearful and say, I'm just staying down? It's easier to stay down. It really is. But when you give up and go back to the fishing, it affects you, it affects others, and it brings everybody down. So the key thing in this passage is Joshua got back up. So that's the first point here. Now, has anybody got any quick questions, comments about this before we move on? John. Yeah. I think there, I think there was some some of that with there, and we're going to get to actually this point here in a little bit. Um, actually, we'll just go ahead and talk about this point right now. You know, with Aiken, Aiken was so selfish that he took what he wasn't supposed to have, and so since Aiken took what he was supposed not supposed to have, his family was destroyed. Israel was defeated. We covered that last week. If Aiken just would have been patient and waited till God said take something, Aiken could have went to this next battle and said, "I can get whatever I want." So a, a point here is be patient and you will be blessed. Don't hurry God and try to take it before he's ready to give it. So I think that is a good point there. And you know, it doesn't come out and say specifically, but I think you bring up a good idea there. Jericho was such a battle that there is no way that the Jews could say they did anything in that victory. I mean, that was such a God battle. With AI, there's going to be some swinging of the swords here. So it's a little bit different. But Jericho, yeah, I think that could have been something where God was setting a scene here from the beginning saying, when you go through the promised land, I'm the one that's going to bring all the victory there. So it could have been a first fruit thing. That's quite possible. But real quick point there, and I know I'm hitting that lightly, and I don't really want to. If Achan just would have been patient, he could have got what he wanted. But instead, he hurried and rushed. And let's just all be honest. How many times in our walk with the Lord have we hurried and rushed things? Where we, we, we knew what we wanted, we, how we wanted to get it, and instead of waiting for God to say, it's okay, we just go in our own time frame and it comes back to bite us. Uh, we're, we're running into this right now with Kenan at home. We have one drawer, which is called it's the candy drawer. It has candy in it. And so we have it set up where Thursday night is, is movie night candy night for the boys. Every Thursday night they get, we get them a thing of candy and they get to watch a movie. Well, whatever is left over goes in that candy drawer. Well, Kenan has now reached the point now where he's tall enough he can open the candy drawer. 
And the other day, Don said that Kenan was coming out, and next thing you know, he was unwrapping a Reese's peanut butter cup um, because he wanted a piece of candy. Now, generally speaking, if the boys ask, we'll do something. But if you go in to stick your own hand in it on their own, no, no matter what you ask, what you say, you're not going to get anything. In fact, we'll give candy to the other boys just to prove a point um, right in front of your face. Yeah, uh, you know what? Good thing you're not in the Irvin house. Um, Aiken could have just waited, and he could have got something. Instead, he rushed it, and because of that, it brought along a death, physical and, and spiritual there. One other quick point about this that I find interesting. What you see here from verse 3 on, and we're not going to read this, the answer is really found in verse 2. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. What happens is, is, as you read this, is Joshua takes a group of men in, and he kind of sneaks them in and hides them. And so what happens is then he takes another group that goes and fights Ai, and Ai basically says, hey, we've already defeated these guys once, we don't have to worry about it. So all of Ai comes running out of the city to go defeat the Jews, and then what happens is they lay an ambush for him, and those other men that he hid come and attack and destroy them. It's a great military strategy there. Ai rushes out, they rush out to their own defeat, they have men hiding, those men just flank them and destroy them, and then Ai is utterly destroyed. So, but the reason I bring it up is I find this very interesting. God doesn't have to do the same thing each time. Jericho was unique. Walk around Jericho, the walls come tumbling down. AI, it's an ambush attack. See, so often what happens is just because the Lord moved one way one time, we start setting a precedent saying, well, this is the way it has to be. Excuse me. Sometimes that works. I have a tendency, I like to go into other churches and, and, and steal things. Not literally, but steal ideas and see what works. I like that. But one of the things that comes out of that is the pastor always tells me, hey, just remember, what works for us may not work for you. And I say the same thing to other pastors. I had a, a group contact me one time and said, hey, heard about your car care ministry and the God's really blessed it. And I said, yeah, this is, this is what works for us. This is what the Lord led us to do. Just because you repeat it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Because the Lord is unique in how he moves in different areas here. And so what happens sometimes is we have people come from other churches and say, hey, you should do this. Well, that may work for them. That may be a wonderful blessing for them. I don't know if it will work here. The Lord may want to do something a little different. He may want to tweak it a little bit. You know, God is not into necessarily copycat. Jericho was the walls come tumbling down. AI, it's an ambush attack. And what happens sometimes is people go from one church to another church, and they want to duplicate that church. It just doesn't work. Each congregation is unique and different, and the Lord works in different ways sometimes. That's just the way it is. And, you know, I used to know some families that went to different churches, and they came here, and they, they almost wanted us to just become what that, that church was. It doesn't work. There was a family that used to come out here, and they moved to a different area, and they called me up saying, well, they don't do it this way, they don't do it that way. Well, they're in a different area. They do things a little differently. Let the Lord lead them individually. And the God has a little bit of a precedence for this, not only here with Jericho and Ai, but if you want further study, write this down, Leviticus 2. And I know we usually stay away from the book of Leviticus, because it's boring. But Leviticus 2, you need to check it out. There's something in Leviticus 2, my translation calls it a grain offering. If you have King James, it calls it a meat offering, even though there's no meat in it. Some other translations call it a meal offering. The point is, it was an offering given to the Lord. Now, if you know anything about offerings in the Old Testament, they are specific. God says you do this and this and this. They all represent a different attribute of your walk and then of Jesus Christ. So God was very specific. But yet, in Leviticus 2, there's something called the grain offering. And God basically says, highly paraphrased here, how do you want to do it? 
And as you read through that offering in Leviticus 2, God says, well, you could do it this way, you could do it that way, or you could do it this way. And I think that's a picture of how we all have a relationship with Jesus Christ, hopefully, but yet we all relate to Christ a little differently. If you and I would sit here and say, what's the first thing that comes to your mind in your walk with Christ? Some of you may say it's His grace. Some of you may say it's His mercy. Some of you may say it's forgiveness. Some of you may say it's love. Some of you may be doing wrong things right now, and you may say it's judgment. I don't know. But the point is, it's still the same Savior. But all these different words and attributes describe Him all from a different angle. Leviticus 2 is a wonderful grain offering. But it can be done in so many different ways because it also shows the uniqueness and how God's work. So Jericho, you march around, walls come tumbling down. AI, you lay ambush. It's still God's kingdom and purposes. That works for that church, that works for this. Or that may work for that person, they may work for this person. I remember when I was first out here learning how to uh, do Bible studies, etc. Uh, you know, I remember going up and talking to Jim one time saying, you know, how do you do his lessons? And I don't know if anybody's ever seen the way uh, Jim used to make his lessons, but it, it was all so organized. I mean, he, he had color-coded, I mean, to the point of this point was this color, this point. I mean, it was just beautifully organized. I tried it. It doesn't work for me. I've shared it with you before. Mine's some chicken scratch on some scrap piece of paper. And if I tried to duplicate what the Lord is moving at someone else's, it doesn't work. I remember when I first started teaching, there was a guy that uh, used to teach without notes. And he'd come up and say, oh, James, it's so freeing not having notes. I just really feel the Spirit moving. I thought, oh, I don't want to quench the spirit. I'm going to start teaching without notes. It was horrible. It was so bad. And you know what? It's not that I rely on my notes like I have to, but I'm a type of guy, I like to have a few notes here and there and some verses. Each thing's unique. Leviticus 2, different offerings. Here, ambush versus march around the city. God's still in it. So they have this ambush, and it works perfectly. But there's two verses I want to share with you. Look at verse 14. Now it happened when the king of Ai saw that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle. Did you catch that in verse 14? They saw what happened. What did they see? They saw the Jews come and they hurried out to meet them, so much so that every single person came out. He and all his people had an appointed place before the plain, but he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. Now, here's a quick point. If you are in a hurry, you're going to get ambushed. It, it, God is never in a hurry. Never. If I ever feel like I'm rushed, I need to stop and say, okay, Lord, you're not in a hurry because God's not shocked and surprised by anything. And so if I'm in a hurry and I feel like God's in a hurry, it's like, oh, no, we didn't see this coming. What are we going to do? That's usually a place for me to step back and say, okay, we need to pray about this for a little bit because God's not a God of confusion. I know sometimes that frustrates people. They'll come up. They've had an idea they've been thinking about for weeks, months, and praying about They think it's wonderful. So they lay that idea on you, and they want you to immediately say yes. Boy, you know, you, you've had months to pray about and seek the Lord. Let me take some time. God's not a God of confusion. God's not in a hurry. I notice when people are in a hurry, that usually leads to an ambush. I don't want to be in a hurry. But at the same time, look at verse 19. So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand. They entered the city and took it and hurried to set it on fire. See, the Jews hurried. Now, am I contradicting my point? I'm not contradicting my point because why? Verse 19, they knew what God's will was. See, here's the difference. If I don't know what God's will is, the worst thing I can do is verse 14, hurry, because I'm going to get into an ambush. But if I know what God's will is, I'm excited to do it. I can't wait for it. But let's, let's hurry and do God's will. And I don't mean we have to rush God's will, but we're excited about the Lord moving and doing something. 
So if I don't know where the Lord's leading, I hurry, verse 14, it's going to be an ambush. But if I know what the plan is, I know what God has said, I know what God wants, verse 19, I'm going to hurry into it, because why, verse 19, no pun intended, I'm on fire for Christ. And I want to touch everything I can with the fire of Jesus and spread the gospel. That's the exciting part of it. And, I, and I've heard a pastor say this. I don't know if it's true, but I haven't seen anything to say it's not true. They said the only time you ever see God in a hurry in the Bible is the story of the prodigal son in Luke 16. Is that the prodigal's dad represents God. And the only time you see him in a hurry is when the prodigal son actually comes back to his father. The Bible says that the father ran to his son. That the only time you ever see God in a hurry is he's in a hurry to restore a relationship with you. And I tell you, I like that. The idea that God hurries to rebuild a relationship with me when I come to him in forgiveness. That's a beautiful thing. So, careful when you're hurrying. Make sure it's God's will. If you know it's God's will and God's plan, well then I tell you, do verse 19. Hurry, get in there, and do God's will because it's an exciting thing. But if you don't know what's happening, verse 14, you need to slow down a little bit. It's going to be an ambush. and You've got to make sure that you know where the Lord's leading and waiting for him and for what his will is. So they have this great victory, and as they have this great victory, Ai is destroyed. Well, what they do in verse 30 now is kind of interesting. It says in verse 30, Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel and Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded the children of Israel, as it was written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and a sacrificed peace offerings. If you're taking notes, uh, Deuteronomy 27 you know, Moses commanded them, when you get into the promised land and you get to Mount Ebal, you need to set up this memorial. And we've talked about memorials before a couple chapters ago, how they're supposed to be a visible reminder of what God has done. So this was ordained and planned that they were supposed to get to Mount Ebal here and set up this memorial of what God has done. And I think there's a couple interesting things in here. First one is verse 31. They set up an altar of whole stones of which no man has wielded an iron tool. And I think that's important. Because they wanted stones that no man had worked on. That represents salvation. It's something no man has ever worked on. It was all done by God and God alone. You know, you can't, you can't earn it. Isn't it amazing? One of the most fundamental concepts of Christianity is you are saved by grace and there's absolutely nothing you can do to earn salvation or favor with God. One of the most fundamental concepts of Christianity. But yet in today's society it still pops up, doesn't it? You talk to people about earning their way to heaven, and, and some of them say, well, you know, good works, you know, this and that. And it's like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. No, you, you want the offering in verse 31 that no man has ever been a part of. It's all God and God alone. And it just blows my mind that people that walk with the Lord, you ask them about somebody, and they're, well, yeah, I, I think he's saved. Well, how do you think he's saved? Well, he's, he's a really good person. You know, if God's going to let anybody into heaven, he's going to let him into heaven. Based on what? His good works? Because I'm willing to bet there's some bad works in there too. Your, your entrance into heaven is based on Christ. And I know this is a fundamental concept, especially for Wednesday night, because we're all super saints here, but the point of it is, there is a point that God is trying to say here in verse 31 when he says, no man has wielded an iron tool. This is an altar that, that no man has worked on because it represents God and him alone doing it. And what do they do on this altar? They offer to it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrifice peace offerings. Those burnt offerings and peace offerings all represent Jesus Christ. See, that's the whole point. There's absolutely nothing you can do to earn salvation. And, you know, some people really struggle with that. That's something I've never struggled with because I, I like it when I have no responsibilities. 
One of my favorite things out here is when we have a meeting at church and we're talking about the upcoming events and, and the staff's there and we're having this meeting and somebody says, I'll take care of that. Because when they say, I'll take care of that, I usually say, say, you got that? And they said, yeah, I got that. It's like, I don't have to worry about that. You got it. You're taken care of. So when it comes to salvation, Jesus said, I'll take care of that. I don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. I'll take care of that. It's a beautiful thing. I don't have to earn it. I just get to accept the free gift of salvation and enjoy the grace and mercy of the Lord. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But so often, we want to help make the altar, don't we? Man, why do we want to do that? Why do we want to add to salvation through some, some sacrament or through something like that? Just enjoy the fact that Jesus said it's taken care of on the cross. That's why his last words were what? It is finished. As a pastor said one time, it's not to be continued. It's not, it's almost done. It's finished. If it's finished, what could we possibly add to salvation? That's what verse 31 here is a picture of. It's the altar which no man has worked on. It's God and God alone. And one other thing, what do they do here in this altar, verse 32? And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses which he had written. That all goes back to God's word, doesn't it? Always goes back to God's word. And you know what they're going to do here from verse 33, 35? They're going to read God's word. Look at verse 34. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. Now I'm telling you right now, some of you, and rightfully so maybe in certain passages, you find the Bible extremely boring. I'm not going to argue with that. There's some passages that are tough. But when it says they read all the law, that means they're reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now, if you want boring, Leviticus, I'm telling you right now, I'm not trying to pick on God, but Leviticus is not the most rip-roaring, exciting chapters in the whole Bible. So these guys sat there, and they read that. They weren't reading the fun stories of David or Jesus or whatever. It was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, I find this very fascinating for a couple reasons. Number one, God says it's important enough to read it again and again and again. Did you know one of the requirements of the king of Israel, when he became king, he had to go what? Hand write out the entire law, his own copy. So that way, as a king of Israel, he knew what God had commanded him to do. These guys had to sit here and listen to all the law so they knew what God had commanded them to do. It blows my mind how as Christians living today... We will go, well, let's be honest, maybe Wednesday to Wednesday, Sunday to Sunday, without even cracking God's word open. And we just take it so for granted. How many of us will sit there saying, where did I put my Bible? I had it last Sunday. Now it's Sunday morning again. Where, where did I put it? Where did it go? Or how many of us go home and we have translation after translation after translation, but yet we never take the time to do it? We are really missing out on knowing the Word of God. And that's why out here at church, we really try to stress this idea of getting into the Word. Because it goes back, full circle now. Stay in Joshua and jump back to Joshua 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. That's what we started out tonight's lesson with. Do not be afraid, dismayed, or discouraged. Why? Because God's word says, I'll get you through it. Joshua knew that. And what do we end with here? After a great spiritual victory, they end with God's word. 
I highly encourage you, find time into your day to get into the Word and you will be blessed by it. One of the things I encourage you to do is also don't start in Genesis. I encourage you to start in Psalms, maybe in Proverbs. Grab 1 John or one of the Gospels there. You know, read it. And I remember there was a John Corson uh, study I heard one time where he says, read it expectantly. Meaning, read it that you're expecting to get something out of it. If you go in with the mindset of this is a have-to, homework, dry, you're going to get nothing out of it. He says, take your pen, take your paper, and sit there and say, Lord, what are you going to speak to me today with? You're expecting something out of it. And that's how God speaks to you here. And you see this with the children of Israel. They got into the Word, and God blessed them. He really, really blessed them. So, great little chapter here. Spiritual victory in chapter 6. Spiritual failure in chapter 7. Spiritual victory, victory in chapter 8. hate to say this, spiritual failure in chapter 9. So, we can relate to these people. Lots of ups, lots of downs, but when they're down, they get up and they realize, okay, God, you're going to get us through this and you will. So, the only thing you get out of this here today is verse 3, Joshua rose. Boy, don't stay down in the pits of life. Realize God's there for you and he's going to get you up and get you through it. So, may I have any final questions, comments here before we close up? Yeah, Megan. Uh, John 21, verse 3. Thank you. Anybody else got anything? Yeah, yeah, Tina. Okay, you gave a reference to Deuteronomy 27. I believe so, isn't it? For Hebrew, but I can only find it in Deuteronomy 11, 29. Uh, Deuteronomy 27, verse 2. It shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God has given you, which you set up for yourself large stones and whitewash them with lime. And then verse 3 and verse 4. Therefore it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones which I commanded you today and you shall be whitewashed them with lime. Deuteronomy 27 verse 4. Is that 11.29 too? Okay. Then 11.29 as well. So yeah, Deuteronomy 11.29 and Deuteronomy 27 verse 4. He did it twice. That must have been important. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? All right. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, as we just come to you now, I just pray that we would all... Um, when we get knocked down by our own fault or by the things of life, that we would get up in you, Lord. We would arise in you through your strength and your encouragement. Uh, Lord, help us just to realize that you are there. And Lord, help us not to hurry in our own flesh, but when you make it clear and evident, Lord, we want to hurry in your will because we're excited to do what you have to say to see that victory. And Lord, um, help us to take that time to stop and read and reread and to set up those memorial stones of just what you've done and really spend that time in you, Lord, going deeper in you. We stop and we say thank you for that. We lift this up in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless them.